visiting, um, I will uh, remind you that um, we are working through the book of Hebrews. And um, next week, we'll take a break from Hebrews. We're going to do an annual Christmas message that I love to do. I have no idea what it is yet, but uh, it'll be an annual Christmas message. And then uh, Randuzel's here, and then we'll pick up Hebrews after the first of the year, probably after one more Sunday. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 17. We're continuing in this chapter, even though we wrapped it up last week. We're going to stay with it. Uh, Verses 17 and 18 of Hebrews 2. This is God's word. Therefore, he, the founder of our salvation, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, several years ago, uh, we were at a movie theater, and um, we were leaving the theater. The movie was over. We're walking out, and there was this older woman in front of me, and, and uh, uh, you know, an elderly woman. And um, she was right in front of me, and you know the crowd's pushing, and everyone's kind of boop, boop with their popcorn, their big shoes and everything. And here was this slight little thing, and instinctively, my hand ended up on her back. And the reason my hand ended up on her back instinctively, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just saw her, and my hand went on her back. It was because of my mother-in-law, Mimi. Mimi lived with us for three years, the last three years of her life. She died about, what, eight years ago or so. And... Um, and that was just my habit. Uh, if Mimi was uh, about 95 pounds and um, she'd walk through somewhere and I just would always either grab her arm or I'd put my hand on her back. And I don't really know what that was going to do. Like if she fell over, I was like, I, what, I'd dive on her like a grenade. I don't know really what that was going to do. But I think what I was trying to communicate to her just by my hand on her back was that you're not, gonna, you're not walking alone. You know, you're, you're just not maneuvering through this situation alone. And uh, so this older woman in the movie theater was like, well, thank you, you know? I mean, she just, she, she wasn't offended by that at all. She dug what was happening. Uh, it was kind of a cool thing. So, um, you know, what's the big point today? The big idea, if I had one of my working screens working, I would have put up there this, the big idea is this, that the Christian walks through no situation alone. And that's probably a comforting point, but, you know, if you look at this if you look at this chapter and these verses I read, you know, some of the Soviet hardliner theologian types might look at that and go, well, it's a pretty soft point. I mean, a Christian walks through no situation alone. I mean, you've got all this rich stuff about Abraham and uh, you've got um, propitiation. You've got this multisyllabic uh, word and all these grand Old Testament themes that you can pull in and all that. I mean, is it a little simplistic to say a Christian walks through no situation alone? That's the point here. But do you not see the deeply personal mingled with the richly theological. It's here. You look at verse 16. Surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now, that's not merely a math problem. That's not just a judicial act of some sort, nor is it limited to salvation itself, as if God and the writer of Hebrews 
just as talking about justification, we're super interested in justification, this legal thing that's happened on your behalf, and now you're just dumped off in this scary life to just figure it out. Not at all. Um, Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What is that except a statement to say that the Christian walks through no situation alone? No situation apart from the spirit the Savior himself sent. So concerning my mother-in-law, my hand was on her back if I happened to be near her. That's a comfort, if I happen to be near her. The good news for you, Christian, is with the saved, God is always near, and the believer is never alone, never God knows about every situation you're going through. He knows about every nuance of heart. He knows about every single fear. He knows it. So let's go to our first point. Our first point is merciful mediation. Merciful mediation. And we'll start at verse 17 there. It says, um, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. So you've got this merciful faithful high priest. Now, if you were doing a Bible study, let's say you were going to do a Bible study, or let's say, let's, let's take you out of it. Let's say Joe Country Preacher is going to do a Bible study, and uh, he looks here, and he's like, oh, hot dog. Oh, let's, let's forget Joe Country Preacher. Let's take hipster doofus uh, urban guy. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Bro, of course, I'm that guy now. But anyway, welcome, everyone. Who wants to be relevant? Uh, we're going to take this passage today, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to preach something on it. And so you go to verse 17, and they go, ooh, what can we say to the people that they'll really, really minister to them? Oh, well, let's see here. We've got a merciful Savior. That's pretty good. Well, let's talk about mercy. Uh, let's talk about social justice, too, while we're at it. Or you could say, oh, well, there's the importance of faithfulness. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. And you go, oh, faithfulness, that's good. I, that'll preach. Let's talk about faithfulness today. Or you could say that uh, Jesus did this uh, t- in service of God, a high priest in service of God. Oh, so, hey, we should all serve our neighbor, everybody. That's, our, that's the message of the sermon today. We should all serve our neighbor. Isn't that good? Isn't that relevant? Okay, that's cool. Those things will preach. But there's a critical front and back to all that. You can't just pluck it out of context and talk about mercy as if it's some nebulous thing floating in the sky. Without a context, it has very little substantive um, uh, flesh. So you look at the beginning of verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. You go to the end of it. So that he can make propitiation for the sins of the people. So right on the back of mercy and faithfulness, You've got this problem that God has solved for us. It's the grounds uh, for which these things apply to us. And that's what we'll explore first today. Now, it's easy to kind of reduce mercy to an emotion, isn't it? We, we think, oh, God's merciful. And we think, oh, that means he's a, he's a sweetie pie. And uh, he's just sweet up there, and he's just looking down on us, and he's merciful. It's very easy to reduce mercy to something that it really isn't. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not just an emotion. It is God in his person, because mercy is one of his attributes. It's God in his person moving mercifully. In other words, it, God, God has pity. He has mercy, but he moves in his mercy. 
You know, it's been said that, uh, and I tend to agree, that the difference between grace and mercy is that grace sees the situation of the whole man. I mean, it sees a person who's full of dry bones. It sees a person who's dead in their transgressions and sins. What does a dead person need more than anything else? Life. That's what grace sees. Grace sees the cosmic problem between a God who's holy, 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 a God who's utterly, burningly, white-hot perfect, and a people who always say, well, nobody perfect. That's a cosmic problem, a people who aren't perfect and a God who is perfect. That's a problem. So grace sees that. Uh, what does the guilty need most? The guilty needs an acquittal. What, is, what, what needs to happen to a sin debt that cannot be paid? It must be paid. That is God's intervention of grace. That's what grace is. Mercy is that God sees the personal hurt. But again, it's more than an emotion. And I, I, I've told you this before, I think, but uh, you know, I think about it a lot because every time Tammy and I drive from East Memphis or Midtown or whatever... On Poplar Avenue, uh, somewhere around, where is it? Where's, where, where's the thing with the bird, honey? Is that Overton or somewhere? Or, you know the bird I saved or tried to save? What street is that? I don't know. But anyway, it's like well, every time we come back to Midtown, I pass the same spot, and I remember that I just replayed the whole scene. In fact, I talk about it almost every single time, and Tammy's like, oh, really? I've never heard that. Uh, you know, but it was rush hour traffic about... I don't know, 12 years ago, and it was real, real hot, awful Memphis day where you could see the heat coming off the pavement and everything, and it was rush hour, 5 o'clock, car lane, car lane, car lane, bumper to bumper, just creeping along, and this little bird had been hit by a car and was traumatized. It was still alive, but it was standing on the line in between the cars, and it was just shaking, just like, uh. And, you know, the cars and the heat and everything. And here's what Mercy does. Mercy goes... Oh, look at that poor little bird. But then what does mercy do? Like real mercy. Mercy, there's a difference between, oh, that poor little bird. You know, you go home and later on you're like, I bet that bird's dead by now. It's eight o'clock, you know. Um, On the other hand, I, I have mental problems. And so I pulled over to the side of the road. I wove through traffic. People thought I was gonna like wash their windshield or something. And... I get this little bird, and I still know the exact spot I put him by this fountain in the shade. And I came back like late that night with some bird seed that I went to the store and got and some water, you know, and I was going to feed it and nurse it back to health anyway. He died. But anyway, all that to say, so that's the sad part. But the point is, that is an earthly illustration of a heavenly reality, okay? So it falls short at some point, right? Like the bird died. Um, But mercy sees the misery unto action. That's what God does. That's what God's mercy is like. It's not just, oh, he's up in the sky and he's a sweetie. He sees the hurt. God knows that, you know, we need rescue. That's what grace does. But God sees the misery that sin brings about in our lives. He sees that it causes relational trauma. He sees that it causes an internal swirling and an entanglement. God sees that. He cares about that. And uh, God moves on our behalf. So how does God move on our behalf to save us, to help us? Well, it says in verse 17 that Jesus had to be made the author of our uh, faith, the founder, the champion, the pioneer, the trail cutter of our faith had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a faithful um, and and merciful high priest. Well, 
Um, it's important to understand, um, and as we said last time, uh, uh, as, the, as the Bible says in verse 14, uh, what does it mean that Jesus became like us? Well, you know, in verse 14, it says flesh and blood. He took on flesh and blood. Yes, he did. Um, that's important. It says that um, he, um, he came to help the offspring of Abraham. That's pretty wild and pretty personal and pretty defined, by the way. That in itself will give you something to talk about at lunch. Um, but again, my point is that that's people. It's humanity. It's not just, it's not just throwing a net out there. It's, it's that God really does care about people's lives, individuals' lives. And it has very much to do with Christ's incarnation. Um, now, what is it that Christ was made like us in every single way? In fact, let me, let me ask you a question. It's kind of a scary question. It says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Do you think that's true? Uh, yes, you do. It's the Bible. I think it's true, too. But what is it saying? Does it mean that Jesus became a sinner? No. So not in that respect. Does it mean that he was fallen, a fallen human? No. Uh, Jesus was fully human, but he was not a fallen human. Big difference. Um, You know, guys, every question uh, you've ever had about the Bible, uh, you need to remember that uh, it's been asked a million times before. You know, when it pops in your head, you're like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Something just dawned on me. I see a bit of a discrepancy between the blah, 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 and the her, and I've got a question about blah, blah, blah. It's been asked a million times by a million other believers. You do know that, that it's not new to you. Well, here are two things you need to know that we didn't get to have time to cover last week. Um, Back in the year 325, early church, uh, there was this dude named Arius, and he was an Egyptian, yeah, an Egyptian preacher, and um, he denied the full divinity of Jesus, all right? And so his, uh, that heresy was, ended up being called uh, Arianism, and uh, so he believed that Jesus was great and important, but he was less than actually being God, all right? So that's, that's one mistake that you can take. Uh, you know, we go, he's fully God, fully man, uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, this, this Egyptian dude is like, no, 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 he's not really fully divine, all right? So, there, so you got that on one side. On the other side, you've got this other heresy. The other heresy is, well, uh, Jesus wasn't really human. I mean, he wasn't really fully human. Um, he sort of kind of looked like he was human, and uh, that stems from a, a Greek word called, uh, that, that is dokeo, which means to appear as something, to seem like something, all right? So uh, that's, that's the other side of it. So they go, well, Jesus only seemed to be human. It's kind of like he was on the earth, he walked around and stuff, but it was kind of like a Halloween costume. Jesus wasn't really fully human. Um, you know, good guy, but... Uh, everyone who worships him is a lunatic. And so um, anticipating the troubles, uh, the writer of Hebrews, ultimately the Holy Spirit of God addresses this. And the writer of Hebrews is most deliberate. If you would look back to chapter one, very beginning of the book, chapter one, verse three. He, the son, this is whom we're talking about, Jesus, the son, verse three of chapter one, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
Check this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Look at verse eight of that same chapter. Of the son, with a capital S, God the father says, you get that? Of the son, God the father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Look at the end of verse nine. Uh, Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Do you get that the Bible is so deliberate to say Jesus is God? Jesus is divine. Here you have a dialogue, God the Father speaking to God the Son saying, I'm God the Father and Jesus, you are God. So the question, can you be a Christian and believe, not, believe that Jesus was not fully God? The answer is no. There is no gospel unless Jesus is divine. There is none. Well, application for your life. Many, many believers, and this is going to kind of ring for you. You're going to go, ooh, I better be careful of this. Many, many believers believe a partial heresy. Maybe even you believing a partial heresy. And uh, so you think about the advent of Jesus. It's Christmas time, and Jesus comes into this world, and he's born of a virgin, and uh, he grows up as a child, and he grows up, and he's, he's, he lives this life, this human life. We tend to think, we tend to want to think that Jesus was really laying in a manger, looking up at his mother, cooing like a little baby, but inside he was going, look at these dopes. <laughs> Cute. I mean, they're looking at me thinking I'm sweet. I'm looking at them going, <laughs> they're so sweet. Look at them. I'm upholding the universe by the word of my power. I'm just a little body. Is that how you think? I bet it is. That's not true. Jesus was fully human. He really was born into this life. He really was brought into this world by his mother. He really was fed by his mother. He really did grow up in wisdom and stature, it says in Luke 2. He grew up. He had a normal range of emotions like you and me. He felt challenges like you and me. Uh, He had playmates like you and me. And his maturity level, his understanding, his wisdom, his knowledge grew. He grew in wisdom and stature because he was fully human. That's what that means. He was fully human. He was a baby, then he was a child, then he was an adolescent, then he grew up to be a man. And at the same time, he had been incarnated. Uh, He was fully God, yet upholding the universe by the word of his power. But friends, the, the discretion of his movements was at the will of the Father. He was fully God, uh, Ontologically, he remained a part of the Trinity. Indeed, he really was upholding the universe by the word of his power. But he was fully human. And he was born into this world and his words and his thoughts and his will were at the discretion of the Father. If you would, um, oh, let me just get there real fast. Um, Yeah, listen to this. Jesus said to them, um, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son referring to himself, capital S, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does. 
Uh, father loves him, uh, the son shows him all himself, and so on. And if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see over and over and over that Jesus says, I'm just saying the words of the Father. I'm carrying out my Father's will. I'm saving the ones that the Father gave me. These are the words of Jesus. He says it all throughout John. I'm, I'm doing the will and the words of the Father. So his, his knowledge, his movements, his understanding was at the will of the Father. And so here's why that's so important. And here's why that's got an immediate impact on your life. Um, Jesus, again, was fully human, but he wasn't a fallen human. He was like Adam in his humanity before the fall. You get it? He was like Adam before the fall. He lived a perfect, righteous human life. Um, and and that, that difference affects our view of the compassion of Jesus Christ. The question is, was it real or was it simulated? If he, uh, if he wasn't fully human, then uh, his compassion for us and the help that he gives us in temptation is a, really just a simulation, isn't it? If he wasn't fully human. But if he was fully human, well, gosh, then he understands. I mean, he, he, he understands everything that you have ever felt, um, everything that you've ever, all the pressures that you felt on your, on your heart. He has felt those. He knows what that is as a human being. Um, all right. Um, it wouldn't be any comfort at all if it weren't for our next point, which is this. Let's go back to Hebrews. Priestly propitiation. We talked about the word propitiation last time, and I shorthanded it for you. I shorthanded it, <clears throat> and uh, I basically said, you know, you, you, propitiation, uh, if you're visiting with us, I said something like, um, you know, people have heard that word propitiation, right? And uh, you hear preachers talk about it, and you go, oh, well, yes, that's really wonderful. And then when it's all over, you're like, what the heck was that again? Uh, it's, it's really hard to always remember. And so I gave you this little device to remember, propitiation, pro. If you're pro something, you're for something, right? So when you see the word propitiation, you can think, oh, God is for me. That helpful? God is for me. Okay, but let's talk about the dark side of the planet that we didn't get to last week. If God is for you because of Jesus Christ, what was he without Jesus Christ? It's a scary thought, isn't it? Now, yes, I know God loves with an everlasting love, and you, you, know, you start to get into the, the, a time warp in the fifth dimension and interstellar and all that stuff. Uh, it's, it's very big to think about. Um, but if God is for you because of Jesus Christ, what was he without you, uh, without Jesus Christ? I can tell you this, that um, in, uh, in Romans 1, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What was for you apart from Jesus Christ? Wrath, that's what was for you. Um, Romans 5 um, it refers to um, those without, without uh, salvation, without rescue, without a payment of sin debt. It describes those people as enemies of God. So propitiation is more than forensic. It has to do with God's disposition toward you. He feels graciously toward you. His attitude toward you is that of grace. But that means that his disposition outside of a savior is something very different. Um, you know, uh, I, I've, I've shown this a, a, a many, many times. In fact, it's not in my notes. It just popped in my head. But, you know, it's interesting. 
in Psalm 103, a very beloved passage, very comforting. Uh, Lots of people know it. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. All right, so that's God speaking in terms that we can understand, right? So that's pretty big. As high as the heavens are above the earth, I mean, how far does the cosmos go? I mean, think about how deep space, all the way out there, as far as it can go, as far out as that's how, that's how big, it, so God's saying a lot, you know, infinitely, all right? But in case there's any confusion, the Bible just says the coolest thing here. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We go, oh, isn't that a beautiful thought, east and west? That's how we think, east and west. But think of a globe, if you go north, you eventually get to the top, and then what happens? You go south. But if you go east, you get to around your starting point, what happens? East. <laughs> east is always east. West is always west. Is that not awesome? God is saying, your sins, as far as your account is concerned, in Jesus Christ, if you're a, tr- if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin has been removed from you as far as east is from west infinitely this way, infinitely this way. That's how far away it is. But what that means is that somebody without a savior is in big trouble. How big is the trouble? As far as east is from west. That's a big trouble. And so when it says here that uh, Jesus made propitiation for us, the idea is that God's wrath was turned away. God's attitude toward us is one of grace, but it, is, but, but it is that because wrath has been turned away. So when you think of propitiation, remember, God is pro you, and his wrath has been turned away. That w- that's what was accomplished for you on the cross. All right, our last point is this, empathetic identification. So we've got this uh, merciful mediator We've got this priestly propitiation. That's our second point. And now we've got this empathetic identification. And uh, it's, it's really cool. You know, uh, he helps us, uh, he, the offspring of Abraham. He's able to help us, uh, we who are being tempted. And um, let's talk about that in, in a second, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close it up here. Um, anybody watch Survivor? Anybody a fan of Survivor? I know the Harringtons are, uh, but that's it. Nobody's watching Survivor ever? Really? Oh, nice. Uh, nice. Oh, the, really? What about you guys? We love the show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We, we've been Survivor fans it, for, since the beginning. And what's so cool about it is they plop these people down on an island and they have to interrelate and all that stuff. It's just wild. And, you know, they're like, this is the hardest thing I ever had to do, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you know what? That's called living on an island. I mean, that's, that's called normal life like 100 years ago. It's so hard. I know. You don't have a dishwasher. It's hard. Uh, <laughs> The hardest thing you ever had to do was live every day. It's, it's just fascinating to watch, you know? It makes you thankful for things like shelter and, and running water and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, they, they have all these difficult uh, challenges where they put them on their tippy toes on a little piece of wood and bare feet, and then they got to hold a thing over their head, and, you know, it, it's elapsed time, three hours, you know? And you just watch them struggling and suffering and, and having to balance a ball. The last one we watched, they were balancing a ball with this round, this thing, and... Um, you just go, oh, man, how long can they do that? How long can they stand it? How long can they withhold? How long can they keep that up before they fall? Well, that's, that's the idea with this Jesus who resisted temptation. 
He was tempted as we were. He really was tempted. And hey, it's hard to resist a temptation, isn't it? When you're tempted to do something, you go, I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. It's tough, isn't it? Well, how about do it for a whole lifetime and not falter? How about stand on your tippy toes and hold the thing your whole life in every respect, every temptation that you've ever experienced, he withheld. That's the perfect life he lived. Now, what was in the cup that Jesus feared so much before the cross? It was the cup of God's wrath. He drank it all. Friends, um, a, a couple aspects to this. Jesus resisted temptation, aspect number one, so he knows what you're going through. He knows what it feels like. Be quick to prayer. You, you feel temptation? Don't, don't, don't go, well, I'm not going to do that, but um, don't hedge. Don't hedge. Don't make it a possibility for three hours from now to sin. Go to Christ. Go to Christ immediately in prayer and just go, you know what, Lord? I'm under a bad temptation right now. And I know that you can understand. And I know you sent your spirit to help. That's what this says, is that he suffered too, but he resisted. He knows what it feels like. He sent his spirit to help you. That's thing number one. Thing number two is this. Think of, I don't want to depress you, but what's the worst thing you ever did? (laughs) I mean, the, the thing you said that hurt the person or the thing you stole or the dark secret misdeed. What's the most shame? You know, where you just go, gosh, I'm so ashamed of that. You know, these morons that get no regerts tattooed on their body somewhere, you know? Uh, you know, along with misspelled tattoos, um, really, it's just ridiculous to be, I got no regrets in this life. This is how I got here, blah, 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 blah. That basically, you're just announcing that you're an idiot because... Uh, who wouldn't take back the hurtful things they said and did? I get it. I'm here and I'm me and I accept myself and all that crap. But, um, but the point is, think of the worst thing you ever did. Christ bore that guilt and he bore that shame on the cross. Now you think about that worst thing that you ever did and then it's everybody in this room, all of our worst thing. But wait, God judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So every nuance, every motive, everything that's been judged, everything, any wrongdoing ever, all put on the Savior who was innocent and became sin for us. That's the gospel message. He became sin for us. He really did live um, a perfect human life. He was eligible. He wasn't fallen. He didn't sin, but he became sin for us. That's an amazing gospel situation, friends. Last thing, um, and I'll, I'll close with this. A couple days ago, a uh, local Memphis producer uh, named uh, John Hampton died. And I don't know if you saw that in the, in the newspaper or not, but um, um, it was a, he was a good friend of Pat uh, Scholes. And um, um, John Hampton had been, he was a funky dude, man. He was a real funky dude. Um, worked on Grammy Award winning, worked on all these big albums, worked for Arden for so many years. And John Hampton has been to this church. And uh, let me tell you, you thought he was like a crazy professor or a homeless guy wanted it or something. He was like, kind of had this Andy Warhol hair. And, and uh, it was so funny because he'd come into the church. He, he, he came for a while. He'd disappear. He'd come again. He'd disappear. 
But you turn your head and he would be in the sound booth on his hands and knees in the middle of the service underneath Richard Loom's feet yanking on wires and stuff, right? I mean, he was just like this nutty professor guy. Um, he was just, he was something, but he, he was a tortured soul, man. Um, he had lots of severe problems and kind of floated in and out of, he just had a lot of problems. Um, anyway, I, I found out he died and I mentioned it to Pat, and I said, hey, did you know? And he said, yes, that Pat had been with him hours before he died, and Pat's absolutely positively sure that John Hampton is in heaven right now, and I don't doubt that a minute. Um, He's heard the gospel for many years. Pat's weighed into his life for many years, and uh, I believe the guy's in heaven. I really do. But I sent this text to Pat yesterday about dinner time. I said, "Um, I never really knew Hampton. But I've just now teared up at the thought of his being in heaven. We're all unsanitized, imperfect, and in myriad ways tortured souls. Aren't you? Aren't you a tortured soul? Aren't you entangled inside? Don't, the older you get, the more you look at your life and you're like, man. You know, the, 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 you thought you were in control of things, and the more you mature, you, the more you realize, man, I, I can't even steer the car. I said, praise to the God who didn't give up on us and gave us the perfect way in Jesus to be received perfectly. Christ's high fidelity, you like that? Christ's high fidelity satisfied God's holy ear in that we can rest in peace, peace that is real. That's what the Savior affords you. That's what the Savior who identified himself with you has done. Uh, That's God's mercy uh, moving in action. Let's pray. Father, uh, indeed, it's a, it's a complex life, and we're complex, and right when we think we've got it under control, we're, our sh- souls are shown that we just don't. And right when we think we're a good person, um, boy, you, you sure easily correct us. And we just praise you that you didn't give up on a, a fallen, lost humanity, but you provided the perfect and only way by which sinners could be made right. You've given us the righteousness of God, and he became accursed for us. Uh, We praise you, Lord, that our sin has been removed from us as far as east is from west, and that um, the the only thing we brought to the equation was our guilt, and that makes you recipient of all the glory. So as Christmas comes toward us, Lord, we pray that we remember this great salvation, the beautiful Savior of it, who is fully God, fully man, and fully for us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.